because the book of Acts is Luke's writing, kind of giving the overview of what Paul is doing, what he's heard of Paul doing, what he see Paul is doing, where he's traveling, what he's doing. Right? We have his we have his conversion, we have his four missionary journeys, we have his hardships. And Luke writes of all of his history, all of his life experience. But the letters can each be pinpointed to a place and time that Acts is, sorry, that Paul is in the book of Acts. And so you'll begin to see evidence, right, of, of, of this truth, evidence of this vulnerability, evidence of, of, of what he's experiencing and what he's trying to pass along in, in the midst of these, of these real life experiences. And that's exactly where I, where I want to pick up and continue this morning. We've, I've been sharing with you, I want to look at this, uh, these themes of authority and freedom. And, and authority and freedom are, are, are tightly connected. I would say that they're, they're completely woven together. And, and I define authority as, as the choices you make to live your life. Living your life as you want but freedom is living your life as you should. Uh. Authority is living your life the way you want. And freedom is living the way that you should. See, each and every one of us, our freedom is dictated by the authority we choose to live under. And often, if that's not in alignment with the founding pr- principles of humanity, the founding <clears throat> principles of all of eternity, the founding principles in which God, in all of his vast knowledge, understands and knew when he created us. If we decide in our own authority that we're, not, that we're going to reject that, then your understanding of freedom you think is going to grow, but I want you to know it's going to diminish. When you step into your own understanding of your own authority, you're going to find yourself being limited in the capacity and the things that you want to do. For instance... We all have these experiences. If you decide in your authority that that's at all cost, I'm just going to keep this very, very simple on a very, very basic level. In your own authority, at your own, at your own will, that you deserve whatever it is that you want. Mm-hmm. And you're going to treat others according to that authority. I want you to know that you're going to end up with extremely less than what you want. <laughs> If you decide that you deserve to have money and you are free to have as much as you want, that you decide to use the avenue of theft. Now, understand, theft, we would probably all agree, taking something that is from someone else is wrong. But when you decide in your own authority that I deserve this, I own this, I have a right to this, and you take it, you think that you're doing right. You think that you've earned something, and in your freedom you take it. I want you to know that you have a very high probability of being arrested. And in being arrested, your understanding of freedom is not going to expand, it's going to shrink. And you're going to have authority put on your life that is going to shrink and limit the capacity of things that you can do. This happens in our relationships. If you are diminishing people, 
Have you ever noticed that people who diminish other people are also always complaining that other people are never building them up? Mm-hmm. See, this is another example. When you think less of other people, you're going to find freedom in your life. You're going to find yourself becoming less of a person. Wow. When you keep making people smaller and smaller, you're going to feel smaller and smaller. Because when you take into your own idea that authority is yours, you have the freedom to do whatever you want, your life's just going to become smaller and smaller. And this is why I think we reject the freedom in Christ. Because we don't want the authority of God placed on our life. We don't want the authority of anyone placed on our life. But only Christ, only the authority of God himself, God Yahweh, only in his authority did he send someone to actually expand and lengthen the boundaries in your life. Expand the boundaries and grant you more freedom. It's so funny because I'm watching my son wrestle with... um, It's amazing how bullying starts so young. Watching him having to deal with bullies at the age of seven. He's 10 and he has a bully who's seven. (laughs) It's amazing how how we start so young trying determining our own authority. Determining our own authority and how in our own authority we're gonna limit the freedom of others. Which by the way, this is exactly what Paul was doing. He took upon himself his own authority that he was going to begin by enforcing that authority by taking away the freedom of others to worship the living God. And this is exactly what is actually within us from a very, very young age. And so Kai came home the other day and he's just kind of going down his friends and and he just identified that they're, they're nice to play with, but none of them are really his friends. And I want you to know, as much as this is heartbreaking, it's also extremely, it's an extremely valuable insight that I really want to cherish. Because many of us don't learn this lesson until sometimes in our 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, or at all. Correct. And we end up just kind of opening ourselves to hurt, and we constantly keep putting ourselves out there, where the Bible, Jesus himself said, don't throw your pearls to the swine. But... And this is exactly right. Please, 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 please. It's important that we understand the connection between authority and freedom. It's important that we understand because in it are the secrets and the understanding of God's design in our life and how we're to live. By all means, please be friends with everyone. Please love everyone. Please serve and accept everyone. Please speak truth into their lives. But please do not offer the most valuable stories, the most, the most precious pieces of your life to them if they're not going to be honored and returned. Mm. I often use this example of, of, of our, our, our marital vows. Mm. Right? There's aspects of your life which are to be shared with only one person. Mm. This is the sexual relationship specifically. But these, this is true in our emotions. This is true with, with the most vulnerable pieces of in your life. Vulnerability is actually as, and this is just a practical piece, most people don't want, most people want you to be vulnerable, but they don't want to know your deepest vulnerable moments. Yeah. They want to know that you're human. They want to know that you feel like them, experience life like them, face the same obstacles like them. 
but they don't want to be weighed down by your, by, by your struggles. And in the same way, please use, this is what Paul's saying when Paul goes into his, 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 his explanation, please help me out, I think it's 1 Corinthians 11. Is this right? I shared it not long ago, but he goes into his, his, his struggles, right? And, and he's very much like, so I recognize that I'm crazy for doing this, but I'm going to do so. And he just goes through all of his struggles and he makes his argument of why, of why under the authority of God and in his freedom, he's choose to serve the Lord. Not because of all these great things that, are, that have happened, not because of all of his travels, all of his great relationships, all the great things that he's experienced, but he goes into all the sacrifice and all the hardships because he wants, and he is, he's crazy in this moment. He's overwhelmed in this moment. It's like he just breaks down and he just lets it go because he wants us to know that he's human and that he loves you and God more than anything. He's willing to be vulnerable. He's willing to step into brokenness because he cares about the connection and the outcome and the power and the authority that Christ has in our lives to actually lengthen our freedom. I'm going to make a suggestion here. I think if you're jealous of Paul, if you use Paul as a, a landmark in your life, I think it's very possible to say that Paul is likely one of the most free human beings to ever live. Mm. Completely free in Christ because he died completely in Christ. He was able to walk through all, all, all the struggles and all the temptations and all the pain and, and, and the suffering. <laughs> almost moving to physical death over and over and over again. Why? Because he already died. He died in Christ. He picked up his cross and he carried it and, and he laid his life down before Christ so that he could live in Christ's freedom. Jesus spoke of this freedom. And this is a freedom that I can't, I can't give to you. This is a freedom that, that, that Jesus tries to give to us. But the truth is, this is something that we have to work out, right? Paul writes, I want to begin to look at some of his letters. And, and I want to begin with his, with his last letter, if you will. In the, the book of Philippians. I say this is his last letter. It's not. He's going to write a couple personal letters to... Timothy and Titus as, as, as he concludes his ministry and prepares to step into eternity. But this is his last letter to the churches. And I want to end, I want to begin with the end in mind because he, he speaks something that I think is so precious and so valuable. This is Philippians chapter 2 verse 12. It says, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, he says this, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. I've always struggled with this. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Like, 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 
like we step into a life of Christ and, and we're supposed to be presented with this freedom. But here's Paul concluding one of his final letters, his final letter to the churches, right? And he concludes with this, you know, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. These are not the words that I want to hear at the end of someone's life. It's like, oh my word, I, I, you know, I've been preaching to you about freedom. I've been preaching to you about the authority of Christ. And I want you to know, I just barely made it. Work it out through fear and trembling because I'm terrified. I am more afraid than I ever was. Right? This is not what you want to hear as a message from the Lord from someone who's in prison, spent his life serving Jesus, who knows who you think knows who knows who knows. And when you read this, it sounds like he doesn't know. It sounds like he's more afraid than ever. If you just limit it here, work out your salvation in fear and trembling. So is that what we have to wait for? Is that where the authority of God takes us? Is that where his freedom takes us? To the borderline of, 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 of leaving this world and being scared and terrified? No. This is not what Paul is saying. What I believe Paul is saying is that in work out your life through fear and trembling. This is the context in which your life will be worked out. Each and every one of us, my friends, you're gonna feel afraid. You are going to feel terrified. And Paul's just saying this. He is saying, I know the fear that you have. I know, I know the trembling, the, the anxiety. I know the vulnerability that you experience every day. I have felt it too. And I want you to know, don't let this limit you. Because this is the pathway that will reveal the and evidence the authority and freedom in your life. Don't run from it. Step into it. Because on the other side, his freedom and his authority will be evidenced in your life. Now here's what I love about this passage. My friends, fear and trembling is a part of your life. It will be part of your life. Maybe you know something I don't. But fear and trembling has been, part of my, has been part of my life. I'm 50 years old. It's been part of my life more often than it has not. You can choose to live in your own authority and in your own limited freedom. And I want you to know you will not escape the fear and trembling that comes in your life. In fact, it is this fear and trembling that will shrink your life. It will overcome your life. How do I know? I just want you to think of people as you meet. In my life, typically, I, when I was younger, I, I didn't understand why, as you got older, all older people seemed to be angry, seemed to be impatient or... <coughs> I, I really didn't know why. I really couldn't figure, figure out why. Especially being young when you're filled with dreams and you're filled with optimism and so the world hasn't had its way to, to, to batter you yet. But then you also meet these older people in, in the Lord and they seem to have nothing broken. They're, it's as if they wake in the morning and their body can no longer carry them from, from the bedroom to the kitchen and yet their soul thrives with more beauty 
and freedom and life than, than you've ever seen. And there's this vast dichotomy sometimes that we see between those who the life, the fear and trembling has battered or the fear and the trembling has actually rubbed and shaped and exposed the gem and the beauty inside. See, I'm almost 50 years old. I want you to know that the fear and trembling in my life is, 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 I feel the evidence right now of these two different paths being presented. A path to walk down where I can choose anger and I can choose bitterness and I can choose <coughs> spite. Where I can just curse God and die. But I also feel deep within his soul this constant rhythm, this constant beating of life where his voice says, I've come that you might have life and that you might have it abundant. See, one voice says that, that God is responsible for the fear and trembling. And the other voice says that he is the rescuer from it. And the path that we choose will evidence and lead to and expose that which you hold as your authority and that which you declare as your freedom. And this is what Paul is saying. Work out your salvation through fear and trembling. Walk through it and hold to the promises of God. So, this is a recurring theme in my life as I just shared. As I approach 50, I'm not really going, I might be. I'm not really going through a midlife crisis, but perhaps I am. Sounds like it. I want to share with you a very interesting intersection that's been taking place in my life. I, I've wanted to be done. I just want to be very, very honest with you. I, I, want, I, want to, I want to be done. I want to rest. I want to retire. I want to just kind of be patient and, and move through the remaining time in my life. My son's 10 I feel, I feel like I've done a lot of the hard work, you know, up front. The, the, the need and the ever-invitational relationships that I have, there's always something to do, and, and I'm tired. I am very tired. And, and so I just kind of reached this point recently, recently in my life that I just want to retire. Just kind of want to tap out and, 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 and take it easy for a while. And I want you to know that... that the Lord spoke to this in my life. And I don't like the way that he did. <laughs> I don't like the way that he did. And, and I want you to know that I love the way that the Lord speaks to us. It's so, to me, it's so provoking. It's so individually, individually composed. That, that God's not going to speak to you the same way that he does me. Some of us in this room just need a good, swift kick in the pants. And as a good, loving father, I believe God does that sometimes. Get up and get there. Simply because I told you so. Right? And let me just tell you, we have, we have beautiful images of this in Jesus' teaching where, where, where he does this. And, and the one who obeys is honored. 
I, I'll give you a quick parable, but <clears throat> Jesus was spoken about the, the, the children. Please help me out here if I don't get this right. I'm doing this in live time, right? Jesus speaks of this parable where I believe it was, it was two individuals. I think it may have been two sons, but I may be um, um, blending two parables. But what's important is <clears throat> they wake up and, and, and the landowner, the father, sends his, his two sons into the vineyard. And, and the first one says, yes, 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 I will go, I will go, and never goes. And, and the other individual says, I'm not going, but then changes his mind and decides to go. And it says the second one is, is, is honored. The second one is recognized, right? Sometimes in my life, I want you to know, and I'm sure you're like this also, I just don't want to do what God tells me. But his word, his voice, his promises, fear, right? Knowing that maybe it's knowing that you're going to miss out on his blessing, knowing that, that, that he only has good for you, right? Knowing the heart of God, respond and go. That's how I met my wife, by the way. Cool. I literally met my wife. I was not going to go where, where I felt I was supposed to go. And the very voice of God in my life, he, I just felt like God say, that's fine. You don't have to go there, but you're going to miss out on something special that I have for you. Do you view your life as waking up in the morning that, that actually trusting his authority and his freedom that he will actually guide you into a better life? Yeah. That he actually has something waiting for you today? Mm-hmm. See, most of us don't see it because we're not looking for it. He has a life for us. Absolutely. And so in my life, the voice that, of God that's, that's come, I, really to kind of shape this a little bit for you, I struggle with the concept of time, mm-hmm. right? And, and, and so when I'm kind of tapping out and just kind of saying, you know, God, I'm really, really tired and, you know, I, I just want to retire and just kind of, you know, coast the rest of the way. To me, um, that's basically me telling you that in my perception, um, my, I believed that the Lord is going to call me home very soon. So... I'm just going to relax, mm-hmm. right? Because if, if, if my transition from here to eternity comes tomorrow, I'm going to take a break today. I'm just going to, and this is what usually, this is, this is what eternity does to us. This is the way that we, that we view death. It's actually very eye-opening, right? When you actually realize that the time and the days and hours in your life are limited, we take life a lot less serious, right? Mm-hmm. Those chores, do I really need to be stressed over them? Mm-hmm. You know, the things I need to get fixed in the car, do I really need to rush off to get the lawn mowed? Yes. Right? And, and we kind of transition to, to this glory that awaits for us, right? And... and this is what I felt like, like the Lord say, say as, as I was starting to take on this perspective. And I just felt the Lord say, eh, I actually have another 50 years for you. And I didn't like that. I was kind of like, 
well, crap. I'm just being honest with you. I was like, well, crap. I've been alive for 50 years. And for me, 50 years have been a long time. (laughs) 50 years have been a long time. And so I just felt the Lord say, so what are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with it? See, 50 years is a long time to sit around and do nothing. See, and this is just it. This is just it. We don't know the day and the hour and the time that's set. That's not the point. It's, the point's not whether or not I, I live for another 50 years or not. That is, you know, please don't be writing down, Nick said he's going to live to 100 and then come and confront me, you know, when, when I don't, you know. This is not the conversation that I'm having with God. The conversation that God is pointing out is that the amount of times are irrelevant. I have something for you to do today. I have something for you to do today. And he wants us to work it out through this fear and this trembling. Don't worry about these obstacles that you face because he's going to walk us through them. As. And so this is what I want to point out to you. I believe that there are ingredients, specific ingredients to, to building and living out the, this authority and freedom that God has for us. So I'm not going to read in the book of Acts. I, I want to go to the book of, of Galatians. I want to go back to one of the first books that he wrote. Galatians chapter 2, I want to go. And Galatians chapter 2 takes place, Paul is referencing what is taking place in Acts chapter 11. Quite simply, he's talking about these 17 years in his life that we have no idea what Paul was doing. And I'm fascinated, compelled, obsessed with these 17 years of Paul. Because nothing's written about them. See, we live in a day in a society where you're only as good as the last thing that you've done. Right. That you're only as good as the last song that you wrote, the only last, last, you know, created artwork that you've created, the last person you've touched, the last Facebook post, the last, right? You're only, you're only as valuable as, as the snapshot where, where you capture people's attention. And, and most of us, I'm speaking today's, to today's culture, Mind you, I understand that what I'm sharing isn't necessarily your particular struggle, but I want to speak to the culture as a whole. Most of us are terrified of these 17 years. Most of us are terrified of this idea of not being seen or not being recognized or not being valued or, 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 or not having not the world not knowing that we're here. See, because it's in these 17 years, you begin to wonder if God's doing anything at all. I have. There's this message that we communicate in the scriptures that I believe is the very, very heart of God that we say over and over and over again, that that God designed you to have a life full of purpose, that you are, have great value and you have great meaning in the world in which you live in your day to day. But if we're not careful, we actually go throughout our day without meaning, without value. And, and, and I want you to know, this is not God's fault. This is our fault. Because we actually have the temptation to step into a life of Jesus, but 
never allow him to reshape the way we see ourselves and the way we see the world. That we never actually take on his purpose. We never actually take on his meaning. We just take on his salvation. And we just kind of wait to step into eternity. And so I'm fascinated, obsessed with these 17 years. And and I encourage you to go read um, Acts chapter 11. I'm not going to highlight where these intersections are, but I want you to know that they are very, very clear. Acts chapter 11 and Galatians 1 and and chapter 2. And if you've been joining me or listening on the podcast over the past couple weeks, you've heard me point this out repeatedly. So join with me to Galatians chapter 2, because I want to continue from where I left off last week. Galatians chapter 2, verse 1. Then after 14 years, I went again to Jerusalem. If you recall, Paul went up uh, once after his three years of being, um, being in isolation and learning from the Lord after he was converted and sharing the word of God in Damascus and being chased and persecuted. And when he went to Jerusalem, he didn't meet with anyone. I believe he met with, with Peter. And, and, and basically people were just terrified of Saul at the time. They just, they accepted him. They accepted this salvation. They accepted the work of God, but they felt that his presence was too dangerous. So they sent him back. <clears throat> and it's now 14 years later, another 14 years. So 17 years of Paul's life has passed. Saul's life has passed. Again, verse one. After 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. So in chapter 11, in Acts, this is exactly what Luke is describing, what is happening, how the church is growing, how the church is thriving, and how how Barnabas, this man of encouragement, who's able to see beyond, who has actually taken on the meaning and the value and the vision of God, is reminded of what God is doing, and he says and he knows and he recalls that there is an individual that God wants to use who is gifted for this time and this place. Where everyone else has written Saul off. No one in the thriving narrative of the scriptures, right? Let's just be honest. When we read, read the scriptures, this is like the book you want to be part of. This is like the bestseller. This is like this is where all the movies are made. This is this is you know this is the main characters. Everyone wants to audition for this story. Everyone wants their agent to be calling them because that's that's Hollywood. That's that's where I want to be noticed. No one's calling Saul. He's been written off as part as the main written, espoused work of God. But Barnabas disagrees. This man of encouragement, which I want to know, I believe, well, on this side of the fence, here, Barnabas is the only one. He's the only one who believed in Paul 17 years ago still believes in what God's doing in his life today. And I want you to know, I think there's others. I think there's many, many others who know that, that, that Paul is, is, has only begun to live this adventure, Kate, that God has for him. Because, see, Paul's not sitting around for 14 years, I want you to know. He's not sitting, and he didn't meet Jesus on the road to, to Damascus and then, and then sit and wait for some special invitation into this Hollywood script. No, he's going to begin working out his authority and freedom in Christ from the very, very beginning. Now, a little bit of background here. 
When Paul doesn't know Christ, he has authority, but he has no freedom. He has all the authority that he needs in his own piety, in his own religious capacity to do whatever he wants. He is ruling the city, the region at the time. But he has no freedom, I want you to know, none. He's a complete slave to it. On his road to Damascus, he meets Jesus, and what do you know? He finds freedom and loses all of his authority. This is what we've been talking about. Finds all the freedom in Christ and loses all of his authority. He now moves from the hunter to the hunted. And he's going to run and he's going to move to the desert where he's going to say himself, I just met with God. See, and this is what's most important. I can give you the scriptures, but I can't give you a relationship with the Lord. I can give you truth, but I can't give you the love of Christ. And Paul is going to, in his journey, he's going to discover the voice of God, the presence of God, the love of God. And Barnabas, and Barnabas is going to see it. And as Paul is, in our view, Paul's waiting. Only because we know the story, only because we know the script. And I dare tell you that, that we think he's waiting because we're still tuning into the show. Right? I'm sorry, but we live in a very cinematic world now where... where Knowing the end of the story is, is essential for us to watch. Right? So have you ever watched one of those, those movies that just has a terrible, awful ending? And you weren't expecting it? And, and it just ends the, ends the film there, ends the story there, and you walk away enraged. Or when they cancel your show. Yeah, or when they cancel your show. <laughs> right? They just, they, just, they just kill that final season. Because in your mind, you, 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 you know how this is supposed to finish. It's supposed to finish with a win-win, right? So there is supposed to be, in some sense, this, this happily ever after, this sense of justice. But life isn't lived that way. And, and sometimes in, in our own lives, we almost live with this vision. And I want you to know, I mean, we need to live with the right vision. I do. I, I live with the end of the story in mind. Yes. It was actually, I share with you, it, was, it actually became a limiter in my life because I was looking so forward to eternity, it began to limit my impact here. Hmm. I am so excited about glory. I am so excited about winning. You have no idea. I am so excited that I've been picked and that I get to be in the main story. <coughs> Sometimes so much that I get tired of training. I get tired of finding and picking others to, to bring them into the same story. Because it's exhausting sometimes. And Paul is saying here, he's pointing out to us. I want you to understand, Paul has no idea what his future is. He understands that the Lord told him that he's going to suffer. He's going to tremble and he's going to suffer. Paul working out his, his, his salvation in fear and trembling. This is no secret, friends. 
right? This doesn't tell you anything about your life because it is your very life. The only luxury is that you have freedom in it and you have the authority of God in it to walk through it. So it becomes very, very empowering. Paul has no idea how far his influence is going to stretch. And I'm going to suggest to you that he, wow. does, he doesn't know and he doesn't care. <laughs> he's going to wake up every morning and he's going to be faithful with what the Lord's <laughs> asked him to do. There's evidence here in the scriptures that, that Paul and Barnabas are going to go, they're going to visit, visit um, some of the churches. And, and there's great argument that can be made. I'll tell you exactly what I believe Paul is doing in these 14 years. He's planting churches. He's building communities around, around the truth of the living God. And I'm going to prove that to you right now. Verse 2, Galatians 2. I went up to Jerusalem because of the revelation set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential. The gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. Paul has already begun his life as a missionary. He's already begun his life on mission. And he's been faithful in doing so. And his very words here, he's going up. His reason for going up is because for the past 14 years, he's been sharing the word of the Lord with his community, with the people that he meets. He's been establishing churches. But he's not been doing so under the authority of the established church, under the established apostles. He's been doing so under the authority of God himself. And he's going up to meet with them to make sure that, he's, that he has their authority also. He wants to know that he's been doing what he's been supposed to be been doing. He wants to know that he hasn't been doing it in vain, that, that his message that he's been communicating has been the right one. Yeah. He wants to know that his life has mattered. Now I want you to know, he already believes this. But until you surround yourself with others, who are journeying on the same journey that you are, it's very easy to question and wonder and want to make sure. And this is what he's saying. He's why he wants to make sure that all that he's already started is exactly part of the work that God's doing. Verse three, but even Titus who was with me was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ, so that they might bring us into slavery. To them, we did not yield in submission, even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And from those who seemed to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential, they added nothing to me. I love In my Bible, this is in like um, parentheses. Let me, let me simplify this for you. These people who are influential, you know, these influencers in society, those people, you know, who, whose Facebook posts are, are most important, mm-hmm. I don't care what they say. You don't? This is exactly what Paul's saying. These in, I don't care. And I love how he puts it in, in parentheses. What they were makes no difference to me. I don't care. I don't care how influential they are. Verse 7. On the contrary, 
When they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised. For he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me to mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised, which is uh, basically the Jews. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. See, what's happening here is Paul's coming up, and, and it's been 14 years since he's talked and, and met with them. And when they last met, it, it, wasn't a great, it wasn't a great meeting, right? I don't think Paul is timid. I don't think Paul is concerned. I, but he's going up because he believes this is what God's asking him to do. Right, Paul doesn't have to go up. He's been planning his church. He's been planning churches. God has been using him. He's, he's been faithful with what God's been showing him. And he's already started the work. But he goes up because he knows that there's a greater work to be done. And this greater work is reconciling and being validated and being granted the authority of the work of, of, of all of God's kingdom, of all of God's workers together. And he goes up with this, with this, and he gives this, 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 this presentation of this argument. Because there are naysayers. Timothy, sorry, Titus, is a Gentile. Those among the Jews do not believe that the gospel is for the Gentiles. And there's going to be this huge disagreement that, that, that says... The message is going to be, there's going to be this great schism that's happening in the church that if you're a Gentile and you receive the word of the Lord, this is fine, but you have to become a Jew. You're going to have to take upon the mark upon your body. You're going to have to become a Jew because this is only for the Jews. And so really the hero in this story to me is Titus. Titus could be in a little bit of trouble here. He's coming up with Paul and there's no argument there's complete validation that the gospel is for the world. That Jesus is redeeming the generations. He's redeeming all of his creation. But there's some challenges here. Right? There's the influencers. There's, 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 there's these individuals. I love this. and There's these individuals that are, that are he says, they're slipping in. Right, this is in verse 4. There's false brothers secretly brought in who slipped, slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ that they may bring us into slavery. I want to point out to you just, just four little ingredients here. If you want to grow in your authority and freedom in Christ, there's four ingredients. And I want you to know they're difficult. They're difficult ingredients for us to practice and implement every life, in our everyday life, but I want you to know that they're ingredients nonetheless. If you practice them, we will grow in the freedom that Christ has given us. He will lengthen our boundaries. He will give us more influence. He will give us more relationships. The first one is faithfulness. Faithfulness. I want you to know that Paul would not be called by Barnabas had he just been sitting around and waiting, had been waiting, had he been doing nothing, 
had not the presence and the glory and the power and the wisdom be ever increasing in Paul's life as demonstrated through his relationships, through his work, through showing up day after day after day. Faithfulness is showing up when you don't want to. Faithfulness is, is, is following through when you're too tired. Faithfulness is being on time. Faithfulness is, is committing and, and proving faithful with your promises. It's doing it day in and day out. It's doing what you will say and saying what you'll do. If Paul had not been faithful, he would not be part of the story now. Faithfulness is demonstrated in the little things, not the big ones. The reason many of us never experience the big things is because we've never been faithful with the small ones. When that big thing comes, if you have not been faithful, my friends, we will just not be ready. You'll just not be ready. It's so funny, right? I, I, I have these conversations often where I, I have conversations with people. I, I'm really, really afraid of following Jesus because I don't want to move to Africa. <laughs> and the truth is, you don't have to be afraid of God calling you to Africa. How about first being faithful with the person at the water cooler at work? Right. And I know that, I don't know, do we even have water coolers at work anymore? <laughs> Right? On the front lawn with your neighbor. Right? You guys are sharing these stories as we meet with people. God just doesn't call us into the big thing. He calls us into a thousand little ones. And if we don't step into the thousand little ones, why would you think that we would actually step into the big one? This isn't, this isn't a spiritual thing. This is just, this is just, pra- this is just pragmatism. Your boss is not going to ask you to be manager if you don't even show up on time. There's probably plenty of people that want to go to Africa after all. You're not going to be given, you're not going to be given being trusted with, 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 with financial accounts at work if you can't even manage your own family budget. Paul is being faithful. In our own lives, this ingredient, we can measure, we can look at, are we doing the things that we say that we'll, that we'll do? Are we saying what we'll do? Can people trust us? Do we follow through? Do we, do we tie up, tie off our relationships in a way that, that we're leaving them supportive and encouraging? Are we demonstrating our boundaries? Are we demonstrating in truth and love what, what our hand is being given to at this moment? Faithfulness doesn't mean that you do everything. It simply means that in everything that you do, you do it faithfully. That you do it, that we do it as if we're doing it unto the Lord. See, sometimes as Christians, we think we're supposed to do everything. We sometimes think that we're supposed to be called to everyone. Paul isn't called to everyone. He's been called to a specific People, and he's going to give his attention to those people when he's with those people. Being faithful. The second one is, is being humble. Humility is essential because humility is the path towards, with, towards which we learn. 
Humility equals our capacity to learn and our capacity to change. Paul says this very, very clearly about why he's coming up because, because he wants to make sure that he was not running or had not run in vain. He wants, he wants, uh, this is gonna sound really, really bad. He wants the validation from the right people. He wants, he wants to evaluate with the right evaluators. And this is very, very clear, and this is very, very important. Because there's people, and this ties into, into the third ingredient, which I'm going to call courage. We all need validation in our life. If you say that you don't, you're lying. We all need validation. But here's the specific piece. Humility seeks validation from the right people. We, I can get you validation from anyone. You can go get validation anywhere. Just throw up a cute little puppy on Facebook and you'll get validated. Right. You'll, get, you'll get a few little hearts, a few little likes, right? It's important that we're actually being encouraged and supported by the right people. Because I want you to know, if you're not being supported and validated by the right people, it's very possible you're being validated by the wrong ones. There's always this very, very interesting interesting narrative, and, and many of us have, have experienced it. It's very prominent in, in, the, in the counseling industry, and we even, we even do this as we gather voices around our lives. Have you ever found people coming to you for advice, but they actually don't want to know? Yes. Uh-huh. They actually don't want to know what you think, or they don't want to know what's true. They just want you to agree with what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Right? They just want you to validate their victimization. They just want you to, to, to validate that it's not their fault, right? That, that, that their scenarios are just as depressing as, as, as they see them to be. And if you don't, then they'll just go find someone else that does. And we don't call this, we like to call it seeking wisdom or seeking, seeking counsel, but it's really called uh, seeking commiseration. And when you gather these voices in your life, Right? And it's so funny. Why is my life not getting any, why is my life not getting any better better? Why is it not changing? Well, who what voice are you gathering around your life to change your life? Because most likely you're not being faithful with the small choices. Most likely all you're doing is gathering around your life people who are who are validating that you're a victim. Validating that that you're right, you don't have the power of choice. You don't have the power of obedience. There's nothing you can do in your life except go through day to day commiserating. This is, not the, this is not the word of the Lord. So I recommend that we gather around ourselves people that are saying, stand up in the power and the identity of Jesus Christ and step into your future. Yes, it's going to be through the small trembling and burning and, and vulnerability of faithfulness. Showing up, my friends, just showing up is being vulnerable. Showing up in my life, I, I find showing up the most terrifying thing to do. Well, sometimes walking through anxiety just to show up, just to speak up, just to show myself. And this is what Paul's doing. He's showing up and he's humbling himself. He's humbling himself because you know what? Being vulnerable means, number one, you're opening yourself to criticism. 
And Paul's demonstrating here, you're going to be criticized. There's going to be people here that are telling him that, that he's wasting his time. They're not going to support, they're not supporting what he's doing in his life. Look, he brought, he brought his friend Titus. He's not circumcised. You're not, even, you're not even sticking to the word of God. You, who knows the law, you're speaking lies. And what does Paul say? I don't care what you think. Because I've had this revelation. I have this relationship with the living God who tells me otherwise. But he also chooses to build around himself the voices of truth. And see, this is where courage becomes that part. I, I'd like to tell you, I, as my son's getting older, I tell him, Bob, I don't know if you did this with, with, with your kids and those of you who are parents. I, I tell my son, I say, I say, say, Kai, if I could, I would do all I could. I, I would love to try to protect you from this world. But I can't. So I'm going to try to give you the courage to move through it. You're going to be challenged. You're going to be belittled. You're going to be attacked. Maybe not physically, certainly with words. You're going to be challenged. You're going to be diminished. You're going to question your faith. You're going to question the word of God. You're going to question your identity. You're going to falter. You're going to faint. You're going to succumb to temptation. You're going to sin. But it's only through the courage, only through courage, that you will find the encouragement to remain in the truth of the word of God. See, you wanna know what courage is? Courage comes from the word encouragement. When you're lacking courage, we're lacking encouragement. And, but when we surround ourselves with people who are on the same journey, when we encourage each other, we are instilling courage in one another to stand and remain faithful, to stand and remain in humility. And this is what Paul says. Right? He says, I don't care what these think. And he says in verse 5, To them, I did not yield in submission, even for a moment. Even for a moment. Now, for me in my life, the way I've experienced this, hasn't it been in fighting back? Sometimes when, when you think when someone doesn't submit, it's like they're putting up their dukes and they're being like, come on, take me on, take me on, take me on. But when Paul was being stoned, was he fighting back? Submission doesn't mean that you're lifting hands and you're fighting back. What it means is that encourage that your soul is unwavering in the truth of God. The Bible says, I, I love this passage. Uh, it's a, a little bit of, I'm going to give you a different translation, but in, in a certain translation it says, if you argue with a fool, you just have two fools arguing. Jesus didn't get off the cross and go to war and, and put everyone else on the cross. Right? That's not how the, the victory field ended by, by all of Jesus' enemies being crucified and him being the victor. No, he was submissive to the will of God, unwavering in the eternality and truth in which the world was established and in which it will be completed and renewed. And Paul's encourage was unwavering. And I pray that we would have this courage 
when we're under fire in our society. And having wisdom, when to speak truth and when, when to speak love. When to be patient, when to endure. It's funny, a lot of the attacks that are happening in the world today are happening just because you go to church. The people who are attacking you don't even know you. Just because I'm a pastor, I, I fall into this realm of being hated. Well, how about we grab coffee? How about we grab coffee and build a relationship? Because I'd like to show you that I love you, actually. I'd like to demonstrate that I care. But see, the world is being told that because you love Jesus, that you hate the world. And this is not the message of the Word of God. I was watching a documentary just recently, um, and it was talking about how Christianity has spread throughout the world only because of war and death and death. That's since the beginning of of the of of the the third century that it was the Christians who, who persecuted and killed and even this world that we're living in was established, you know, Christianity by, by killing, you Is know that and Constantine's sword? Yes, and forcing the world to accept, you know, Christianity as, as the world religion and and, and if you don't, persecuting. And, and they're right, as a world religion, but certainly not, the church was not established that way. You might, you might believe that Christianity was introduced to the world by power of the sword, but the church never was. Never. But this is the way that the world sees Christianity. They, they, they group it in as just another world religion willing to kill and destroy to, to get what it wants. And, and you'll see this You'll see this in almost every major world religion. And this is the courage that we need to stand against. And and so these are the ingredients, my friends. Ingredients that you can look at your life, that you can pray over, that you can can practice. Last week we talked about these tools in Galatians 5.22. We can practice and use these tools of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness. I want you to know that even when you're angry, you can practice kindness. You can. And it takes courage to do so. It takes faithfulness to do so. It takes humility to do so. And these are the ingredients. Being faithful. Be faithful of being kind in the small moments. And they will grow into influence in the larger. Be humble. Let us be humble and in, in, in inviting voices into our lives. Whether they're voices of disagreement or not. Jesus said, I didn't come to the world to condemn the world, but to save it. So if Jesus didn't come to condemn the world, why do I think it's my job to? He came to save it. And courage. Courage to stand on the word of God and the promises of God in the same way that he called you from the very beginning. And I want to give you one last ingredient, jumping back over to Philippians. Back to Philippians chapter chapter 2. Because it seems to me that Paul is revisiting this same message. Seems to me that he's evaluating again, this time at the end of his life, whether or not he's been faithful, whether or not he's been humble, whether or not that, that he's carried out responding to God and growing in the authority and freedom that he was presented from the very, very beginning. With this in mind, let's read Philippians chapter 2. Therefore, my beloved... As you have always obeyed, so now, 
Not only as in my presence, but also much more in my absence. Have this courage. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work, for it's his good pleasure. Friends, understand that every time that, you're, that you show up faithfully, every time that you are humbled, every time that, 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 that you endure and courage in the midst of this of, of any moment that challenges the Spirit of God in you, I, I want you to know that as a good father, he is so proud. I know some of you are, are, are not dads, but when our children do little things, we put it on the refrigerator. The rest of the world throws it out. I want you to know that, that, that the refrigerator in heaven is hanging your little pieces of art. It's there. Pause and walk past it and, and realize and remember that God celebrates you and is proud of what, he's, of what you're doing and what he's doing through us. Verse 14, here's the last ingredient. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of the crooked and twisted world, this twisted generation among who you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain, I did not labor in vain, even if I am being poured out now as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be, should be glad and rejoice with me. The last ingredient here is gratitude. It's very, very difficult to be, live faithfully and to have courage and demonstrate courage and live with a spirit of humility when we're not grateful. When we're not thankful for every breath, when we're not thankful for every sunrise, when we're not Amen. thankful for all the little things that God's given you, when we're not, when we miss all this, when bitterness crowds in and takes over gratitude, it will squelch and squash everything else. Cultivate the gratitude in your life. Every little small piece, may we hold it and cherish it and be ever so grateful for what we have and not being angry for what we don't. And the freedom and the authority will continue to grow in our lives. And the world will be amazed at the light that we are, at the light that we become. It's this gratitude that, that is the ingredient that opens up and gives us the ability to respond to God. So I, I define obedience as the amount of time it takes to hear the word of God and do it. Obedience is the length of time it takes us to hear the word of God and do it. We want to be people that are responding to the word of God. That are grateful to hear his voice and respond in every little way. Because in his voice is all of our pleasure. In his voice is all of our joy. See, in these tools... Love, joy, peace, and patience, they're not just the tools. They're actually the very, very things that God uses to change the, light, to change the world around us. There's nothing more powerful than love. 
There's nothing more powerful than joy. There's nothing, nothing more powerful than peace in the midst of trial. There's nothing more powerful than love in the midst of hate. These aren't just tools that we develop, but they become the very wellspring of the very presence of God himself. Faithfulness, humility, courage, and gratitude.